Hey coaches, how's it going? We are extremely humbled and honored to announce our newest sponsor, Wounded Warriors Project. The Wounded Warriors Project has directly affected my family. Uh, when my brother-in-law was overseas uh, in Afghanistan on one of his tours in 2011, his Humvee w- hit an IED in the road. Um, obviously, all through his recovery, the Wounded Warriors Project was there to help him. Uh, with a lot of things that, that we take for granted, we don't even think about as far as clothing, toiletries, uh, the necessities that we get used to that, that our soldiers that are wounded um, aren't always given. Uh, since 2003, the Wounded Warriors Project has been a tireless advocate for our nation's finest, improving the lives of over half a million warriors and their families. Wounded Warriors Project led the charge in legislation to help caregivers and catastrophically wounded veterans, impacting two bills that have resulted in more than $3 billion in financial assistance, training, and health care coverage. Wounded Warriors Project is committed to helping wounded veterans achieve their highest ambition. To learn how you can support their mission, visit woundedwarriorproject.org. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Powerlift. Again, we don't just like Powerlift because of their awesome name. Uh, we also use Powerlift at Broken Arrow and at Ankeny to design both of our facilities. They not only have a great product, obviously, they're also a bunch of good dudes, uh, just like our former guest, J.R. Conrad. It's a bunch of guys that love football. They want to help you. They don't just want to sell you equipment. They want to help your program be the best they can in the weight room. Um, Powerlift is a trusted program that's designed the University of Oklahoma, University of Iowa, Baylor University, and Modern Day High School's weight facility, and that's just here in the past few years, obviously along with many, many more. Let Powerlift take your unique needs and use them to design your state-of-the-art facility. From concept to completion, choose Powerlift. Powerful ideas, powerful results. And as always, made in the USA. Go check out Powerlift at power-lift.com. Our other powerful sponsor, this episode is also sponsored by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication. Offering cutting-edge technology and innovation, Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and obviously much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in the high school football. Again, they don't want to be stagnant. They don't want to just be middle of the road. They want to work hard. They want to be the best. That's why they work with some of the, the nationally ranked programs in high school football so they can continue to grow. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communication to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. One of the, our favorite parts about Sideline Power is they're family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality. Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. To visit Sideline Power, visit sidelinepower.com. You can email them info at sidelinepower.com or you can just give them a call 800-496-4290. This episode is also brought to you by Skycoach. Skycoach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. 
We use this at Broken Arrow. We've got a wide shot and a butt shot during the games right after the play is over. Um, the OC can be upstairs looking at the wide, and I can be downstairs looking at the butt shot, being able to show my guys different tips and, and show them the slants and blitzes that they were seeing those last few series. 24-7 support, a flexible network that works in any stadium and in any size crowd, and the most reliable, innovative software available. To be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. Skycoach, the market leader in sideline replay. You can visit them at myskycoach.com to learn more. Again, guys, for us to be able to keep bringing you these amazing coaches and for us to be able to keep meeting with these amazing coaches, please go help out our sponsors. There's the one that that pay our podcast bills. And, and so uh, we trust these guys and, and we bring them to you out of trust. We've either used them, we know that they are good people or family owned, uh, and we we see what their product can do for your programs. So help out the podcast, help out our sponsors, go check them out and, and think about them first whenever you are going to buy some of these products. On today's episode of RTP, we talk with David Alexander. Coach Alexander is the head coach for Broken Arrow Tigers, where I am currently the offensive line coach and where Coach Walls used to be the offensive coordinator. Prior to being at Broken Arrow, Coach Alexander was the offensive line coach at Jinx High School for legendary head coach Alan Trimble. He was also a 10-year veteran in the NFL, playing for the Philadelphia Eagles and the New York Jets. Listen as we talk with Coach A about his NFL draft experience and his 10-year career with the Eagles and Jets, competing against the likes of Lawrence Taylor and Reggie White, and lessons he has learned in coaching over his career as a head coach and a position coach. You can follow Coach Alexander on Twitter at DA underscore Alex72. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, that's the part I, I think I think's cool. Coach, and we'll go ahead and get it started. But um, the part, obviously, playing for the Eagles, and and you know, played at Tulsa. But you know, you didn't have, I don't think, the whole the whole pick a hat thing in college. And then I'm sure it wasn't as huge of a deal going into the NFL as well. So um, that's something I hadn't asked you about yet. But what was uh, draft day like for you when you did get drafted? Well, draft day, um, it was a lot of fun. It obviously wasn't anything of the buildup that they do now. Um, you know, ESPN was around, but it only it only covered the first round, so it was it wasn't on TV when I got drafted. Um, I got drafted right where kind of everybody thought I was going to get drafted. They said fifth, sixth round. Um, I was the ninth pick in the fifth round, uh, and so we kind of knew what time of the day that was going to be. So I went out golfing with some buddies huh. in the morning, uh, had a few beers on the course, played a little golf. <laughs> um, I actually got home. I was home with uh, my my whole family, mom, dad, my brother, and my sister, and Kathy. She was my girlfriend at the time. Um, and the phone, I'd been home maybe 20 minutes, and the phone rang. And, uh, hey, is this Dave Alexander? Yeah, this is the Philadelphia Eagles. And so everybody's sitting around, you know, who is it, who is it, who is it? And I said, it's uh, the Eagles. And my wife, Kathy's like, the Eagles, the Eagles, yeah, it's the Eagles. We're the Eagles. <laughs> so, under my breath, I was like, Philadelphia. She's like, Philadelphia, yay, yay, Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Where's Philadelphia? <laughs> uh, we were just some small town Oklahoma folks, never been east of Mississippi. And um, 
so the draft that was a uh, Saturday, and on Sunday morning I got on a plane to Philadelphia, and uh, on Monday morning we did physicals, and Monday afternoon we had uh, our first mini camp practice. So, man, uh, I went from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and the Philadelphia Eagles practice field in 48 hours. It was uh, kind of crazy. Well, tell the story about. Didn't you still have the vehicle that your dad had bought you or whatever? Uh, yeah, for college well, and had to drive it out there, and then didn't didn't your dad like make you give the vehicle back? <laughs> yeah, so I, I get to fly out there for mini camp. Um, I come home. Um, mini camp's the first week of May. I come home, and Kathy and I get married in June, June sixth. As soon as we get married, Mike says, "Hey, you're married now. You're on your own." He took my he took his car back. <laughs> you know? Um, so that was uh, that was uh, June of 1987, and that was a it was a 1973 Malibu with about you know 400,000 miles on it. So now I'm, I'm getting married. I've got no car. Um, I, I technically don't have any money yet. Uh, I haven't signed my contract, so I'm going to go back up for training camp. So I fly back up to Philadelphia. Um, fifth round pick i signed my little my little contract back then and um but we rented a car 1987 was my rookie year and that was the year of the strike right and so we all as players we all knew the strike was coming and so uh i just rented a car from i didn't rent a car and train i just survived training camp and then as soon as i made the team i rented a car i rented a car from a place called ugly duckling (laughs) Right, I ran. I ran a like a nineteen seventy six Ford LTD with an exhaust leak, and it was like two dollars and ninety five cents a day. So, um, I made the team, flew Kathy up. Um, I, we rented the Ugly Duckling, and I, I drove that for three weeks until the strike hit. And then when the strike hit, I came back to Oklahoma. I bought a a, a nineteen eighty seven Ford or Chevy Blazer. And drove my blazer back up to Philadelphia. Nice. What color blazer was it? Yeah, it was Battleship Gray, man. What else you get? <laughs> <in Philadelphia? laughs> That's freaking badass. So, okay, it, it so you get awesome. drafted. You... I'd love to have that car back, by the way. I'd love to have that blazer back. However, there was a guy I used to watch like MTV Cribs all the time, and Rashid Wallace had it, it was that year, too. It was like an 87 or an 88 blazer. He's like, man, it's yeah. the only vehicle I could fit in. So he had this huge yeah. orange <laughs> blazer with like 300,000 miles. He's making $60 million. But oh, That's yeah. what it made me think of instantly because that's what he kept saying. Man, they just don't make these blazers like they used to. <laughs> I, would, I would kill to have that back. That was an awesome vehicle. Well, you know, going into it, I would think that that first year it being a strike, I'd think that'd be a pretty difficult uh, thing to be going through. And I know you've talked about it a little bit with me, but – um, how is that as far as, you know, some of these guys, at least they've been, I know you weren't paid as well back then, but they've been paid a couple of years during their fourth year. They've got some price right. saved up knowing it's coming, but you've got, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, no job. You just got out of college. So you got no money. Right. And now when you think you're about to make some money, uh, they've got a strike. And so you're just kind of sitting, you know, how, what goes through your mind with that? Or, or what are you trying to work on or do while you guys are in the strike for, you don't know how long? Well, that's, that's a great question, Rowdy. Um, yeah. Okay. My first, my first year of my contract, 
right? I'm supposed to make, um, for the year, I'm going to make 68,000, which at that time, and even now for what, you know, teachers make, that seems like a fortune, you know, cause Kathy and I, I mean, we, you know, she was working as a waitress at Chili's and, you know, I, I didn't have a job until I got drafted. Um, but we're now we're living in Philadelphia and cost of the living is a little higher. Right. And now we're going to go on strike for four games, which is a quarter of the season. So, you know, you take away a quarter of that 58,000, right? Uh, so you're losing 17,000 of that. And now you're like, how are we going to survive for a year until my second year to make a little bit more money and, and pay for, you know, living in Philadelphia. Uh, but, you know, of course we were young and, and no kids. And she, we thought, we thought making 50,000, we were rich, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and so the, you know, the only thing about, you know, the strike that was so odd for a young man from Oklahoma, um, you know, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, especially is such a blue collar town that they, and they love their sports, man, the, the Eagles and the Flyers and the Phillies and the Sixers that all mean so much. Those, um, the, the Philadelphia fans, um, you know, when the strike hit, you know, there were a lot of teams where some players crossed the picket line and went back and nobody in Philadelphia, it was just not going to happen. And, mm-hmm. um, we were out there picketing as players. We were picketing just like you see on TV in the other strike. And we had thousands of other, um, union workers out there picketing with us. I mean, we had the local, you know, um, steel workers, uh, pipe fitters and the teamsters. And it was – we had more people outside the stadium picketing for games than people that actually went into the games. If you go back and research, that, you know, that first strike game at Philadelphia, I think there were 5,000 people in the stadium. Um, and there were – there had to be, be 30,000 people outside picketing. It was crazy. Good Lord. So, Dave, you, so you get drafted. Uh, obviously, you go up there to, to minicamp. Talk a little bit about how <laughs> – how the mini camp and the fall camp has changed from your days <laughs> to what it is now. <laughs> Cause I think, I, I think if people get a great laugh from that, <laughs> and I'm sure yeah. it brings back great memories for you too. <laughs> well, my, 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 yeah, well, we could talk about this for, for the whole rest of the hour, but I, uh, my very first, my very first, um, mini camp practice, like I said, it was 48 hours later. Right from being in, I was sitting in my house at Broken Arrow, and um, I, you know I'm going through practice, and you no, know, they only, I bet we, I bet there were probably 60 players there at that first minicamp practice. Right, you had the the 45 man roster from the year before, the draft picks, and a few free agents, and so I mean, you know, you're immediately in the second huddle. I mean, there's you know, there's no. <laughs> Right, so yeah, I don't know. About halfway through that very first practice, the strength coach, but I'm I'm not in the reps now. I'm not in the huddle. The strength coach goes and he goes, Alexander. I'm like, yeah. He goes, start a fight. <laughs> okay, start a. Fight. So, right, we, I, I'm in the next time I'm in the huddle. Right, the I say, who play, do you, the pack, who do you pick out to start a fight? I say, who do you pick out to well, start a fight? Yeah, you be very careful yeah, in that this, defense. This, this is even a great story, right? So, uh, so. <laughs> The, the, I don't know, the next, the second play I'm in there, right, it's a pass, the ball goes, it's thrown, and the defensive lineman that I'm blocking turns and goes to chase. And, of course, I just shove him as hard as I can in the back. 
<laughs> he turns around. He turns around and grabs me and throws me about seven yards. Right, and, and of course the fight is on. Um, it was a guy. He was in. You know, I had no idea who the guy was. He was in about his twelfth year. His name was Kenny Clark. He had played on the nineteen eighty Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl team. Right, he was kind of a legend, local legend around there. He was never a great player, but he was a nose guard. He'd been there for 12 years, played on the Super Bowl team in 80. And oh, after my first practice, uh, then after practice, Buddy Ryan gets up there, you know, and his he kind of talks real quiet. And he says, well, we were going to run, but since old Broken Stick over there got us in a fight, we'll just take him in for the rest of the day. So I, I earned a nickname in about two hours with Buddy Ryan. Um, so so my nickname from, was Broken Stick, because I guess because I was from Broken Arrow. Um, for the next five years. Uh, but you guys was, were, you know. That was the big thing, right? If you had a nickname, you were you were doing all right? Yeah, Buddy Ryan, um, he never called anybody by their name. Nobody, right? If you were on good terms with Buddy, he called you, had a nickname for you. Um, if you if, if you're in the doghouse, he just called you by your number. Right. So for the whole time, the whole five years I was under Buddy, you know, he called Retina Hunt Cunningham number 12. Come on, 12. You got to <laughs> come on, 12. You got to make a play, you know, come on, 12. So, yeah, uh, that's just the way it was, you know. And, um, you know, you guys talked about how, how practices were back then. Um, let me tell you, uh, Coach Walls and Coach Harper, if at Broken Arrow, if we had one practice, Mm-hmm. One practice, like one practice that I went through at training camp under Buddy Ryan, halfway through there, every mom and uh, and Broken Arrow would be up there in arms about how Coach Alexander was treating their kids. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was it's, um, two hours. Our practices were two hours and twelve minutes. Both day, both practices, both a day, full pads, tackling to the ground for six weeks. And it was, um, it was a war of attrition, right? You either got better and survived um, or you didn't make it. And, uh, you know, of course, going against that defense, you know, going against, you know, Jerome Brown, who was in my draft class, and uh, Mike Golick and Clyde Simmons and Reggie White and Seth Joyner and Byron Evans and Andre Waters and that whole defense. You know, we went ones versus ones for six weeks. Um, well, you, you know, you had to get – really good in a hurry and um you know we had some really really good football teams and uh but boy practices were rough practices were rough i didn't i would know during the middle of training camp i wouldn't know if it was monday tuesday sunday and it didn't matter <laughs> but the next day was just going to be exactly like the last one <laughs> full pads all right we're in full pads yeah full, yeah, full pads hey we've got inside <laughs> run we've got blitz pickup we've got uh and we got two minutes drill. Perfect. All right, let's go. How, how many up downs am I going to have to do to warm up? Yeah, and then, right, and the, the warm up, right, Buddy Ryan, Buddy called him, uh, we, the lineman, we had to do 50 up downs for warm ups at practice, beginning of practice. Uh, that's why Buddy called him up downs, and they weren't up downs like we do. We didn't touch our chest. You know, Buddy was an ex military guy. So our up-downs in Philadelphia were really the Army squat thrust, right? So one, two, three, one, right? You put your hands yeah. down, you kick your feet back, you pull your feet back up, and you stand up. <laughs> um, so we would do 50 up-downs, 
before practice. Yeah, so you do your pick the up downs, you know, on cadence. You get a drink of water, and then they blow a whistle and say, inside run. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> your legs are blown up, your lungs are blown up, and then you jog down, and there's Reggie White, Jerome Brown, and Clyde Simmons, and right? And your offensive line coach is telling you to get movement on Jerome Brown. You're like, yeah, you get some movement on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't feel my leg. <laughs> so, what, so I want to know is like, you know, Buddy, obviously being a defensive guy, I mean, what were like his expectations of the offense? Kind of like, hey, you know, make a few big plays. Don't turn it over. I mean, what was yeah. kind of his, his philosophy? I mean, knowing that he had all that money tied up in the defense. Yeah, and he didn't have any – he didn't care to not tell you, right? He just was Randall Cunningham, right? You're a great <laughs> athlete. You go make three plays. Just make three big plays. And he didn't mean necessarily touchdowns. Those would have been great. Just make three big plays, you know, um, three 40- or 50-yard plays a game. The defense is going to score twice, right, and we're going to win. So, that I mean, that's all it was. Um, you know, I mean, it was pretty simple. Uh, of course, you didn't call him Randall. You know, hey, 12, you go make three plays, we're going to win the football game. <laughs> and uh, it was it – was, Different. It was a different way of thinking. I was about to say. I, I, think, should, I think you'd get fired for the warm up and for calling kids by their number. I don't think you'd be able to do <laughs> any of that anymore. I know it, it, you can't do it, man. You can't do it. I tell you, you know, and Buddy was so pro defense, and I don't, you know, I don't know about anti offense. He just was. He just did not care about offense. Yeah. Right. So, um, the. The, this this will explain his thinking about offense. Um, our offensive playbook, all our even number plays went to the left, and our <laughs> odd number plays went to the right. <laughs> he looked at everything from the defensive side of the ball. So when he wanted you to run a blunt 34, right, he wanted that to go to the defensive right. Wow. Right? That was our inside zone, blunt 34, <laughs> right, blunt 35. And so he wanted that to go to the defensive right. So, but you can imagine, right? I show up 48 hours after being in Broken Arrow. We, we go to a meeting. We install three run plays and two pass plays. And 45 minutes later, you know, they're, you're in the huddle. And they, they call, you know, Brown left, Blunt 34. And in my head, I'm going, all right, Brown left. <laughs> One thirty-four. That goes to the left. That reminds me of fourteen, you know, fifteen zone at Tulsa. All right, zone to the left, right? And the whole time, <laughs> like, and then you look up, and you know, there's Clyde Simmons. You're like, holy shit, I gotta, I gotta step here and and hit Clyde Simmons, and I've gotta climb this linebacker. I gotta climb up here and block Seth Joiner. Yeah, great, <laughs> piece of cake. Hey, ball got back to the line of scrimmage. Great play. All right, you great play. <laughs> <laughs> Second and ten. All right, win. <laughs> Give me a plus, coach. I, I, always asking. Enjoyed, I always enjoyed looking at your playbooks that you get to bring out, and I remember there. There's one of the protections, and I think you got to be all by yourself at center. And and I'm looking at the protection underneath. <laughs> got written like this protection sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, come on now. I mean, that's the, that's the dumbest thing in the world, right? Let's see. Let's double fan here and leave the center with his right hand between his legs on a four-yard island with a NFL nose guard, right? I mean, <laughs> who dreams up this stuff? That, 
that that's what I know. It, it, and that's some of the stuff that I I picked up from you, and I, I always loved working with you because it made a lot of sense, you know. And it's it's obviously not something you think about, but you always had some of the why behind it, and you could always tell a story. Well, dude, you know, if if we would double fan and I got Dan Saliamua on top of me, my snap hand is useless, right? I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be three yards deep. You know, as soon as the quarterback's catching the snap. So he's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of double fed. I'm like, hey, makes sense to me. You know? <laughs> you know, we put that in, right? It's, it's easy for an offensive coordinator, you know, playing the New Orleans Saints to say, all right, we're playing. Yeah. You, got, you, got, you got Ricky Jackson on one side, Pat Swilling on the other. Let's put our offensive tackles on those guys. Sure, mm-hmm. that's awesome. That, you know, <laughs> hey, on the chalkboard, that works, right? Yeah, that's- looks great. Now, now the center is got he's got from hash mark to hash mark, <laughs> right? With yeah. with the notes, and so yeah, it was snap and hang on, right? For for twenty <laughs> passes that game. Thank God you had a mobile QB though, right? Yeah, exactly. He's just gonna hit it up in there. Hit it up. Hit it up. In yeah, you gotta tell you gotta tell that story because it's still one of my favorite ones. I mean, you're talking about the NFL, right? And we're drafting all these, you know, you got all these shows, the John Gruden QB camp, and all these guys are brilliant, and they got these, you know, great schemes and great protections that they're all tossing up there. And then you you got a quarterback, and he's telling you this. And I'll let you tell the story. Yeah. Well, we had, you know, and Buddy Ryan and all his infants. Let me go all the way back to the beginning, right? Buddy Ryan has all his infinite wisdom about offense. He'd taken this lifetime, lifelong three technique from North Carolina State, a kid named Reggie Singletary, and the kid was a massive human being. And he put him at offensive, right offensive tackle. Right? The guy had never backed up in his life, and now he's trying to pass protect NFL defensive ends. Well, he's having a he's playing somebody, and he's having a rough day. So, um, Randall Cunningham comes to the game and says, Hey, hey Reggie. Take a deep set, let the guy beat you up inside, and I'm just going to hit it up in there. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. He let the guy beat him and took a real deep set. The guy beat him up, beat him inside, and Randall just gave him a little shimmy shake and put up in there for about a 25-yard gain. Everybody, everybody thought he was a genius, you know? I mean, you know, it just hit it up in there. All right, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Well, well, that was you know, and then the, the also the the cool story I always think, and I'm sure it wasn't very cool for you, but you talk about your first game going in, and then I I think it was at tackle because of an injury, and I don't remember who you were playing against, but uh, what yeah. happened on your, on your first game that you had to actually play? Yeah. Well, my, the very first game that I played in, right? That you're talking about when I went in tackle was the very first game of my rookie year. First. <laughs> um, we're playing the Washington. We're playing the Washington Redskins in Washington, and it's um, one of those days on the East Coast. It's probably not temperature hot as as hot as it is in Oklahoma. You know, probably wasn't ninety eight, but it was super super humid, really hot. Right? And that's when they had Dexter Manley and Charles Mann at defensive ends. Right, so um, all I'm doing in that game is snapping for field goals, extra points. Or that's what I think I'm doing, and I'm on the back wedge of kickoff return. <laughs> well, about the yeah, about the middle of the third quarter, our right tackle's slow getting up off the ground, and I had been told I'm I'm number six, I'm the sixth lineman, I'm going in center guard tackle, whoever you know, first guy. If anybody gets hurt, I'm I'm the first guy in the game. 
Well, I see our right tackle getting up slow, right? So, you know, he finished that series and he comes to the sidelines and I beat the trainer to him. (laughs) You're good, man. You're good. You're looking good, bro. You got this guy. You're good. Just just Charles, just Charles Mann and Dexter Manley. Don't worry about it. So, uh, I don't know. We're down by a couple scores. And of course, with seven minutes to go in the game or eight minutes to go in the game, middle of the fourth quarter, he's down and he's out. Coming out of the game. <laughs> so I go, you know, Dave Alexander, man, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I go running in, buck up my helmet, and I go running in here. And the first play is like a third down nickel play. Shotgun. Oh. <laughs> I take it I take my pass set, right? And I'm a I'm not an offensive tackle. You know, you got I'm a I'm a I'm a center that that stretch I'm a stretch guard maybe. Now I'm playing right tackle again. 10-time All-Pro, and I don't think I touched Charles Mann the first play. <laughs> he spins inside, and luckily, I stick my foot out. He trips and falls down. We get the playoff. Um, but I don't, the only thing that touched him was my left shoelace. Uh, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm glad this is not on Monday Night Football. <laughs> Good Lord. <clears throat> that would be about every, every dang week, then. And you guys also played against uh, – LT and the Giants as well. So you got any LT stories? Yeah, yeah, I got lots of LT stories. I, I, I really, I really had, a, I really liked that guy. I mean, you know, his NFL film stuff shows him always talking and and cussing at guys and all that. But he really wasn't like that. He's really quiet. Yeah. Um, he only talked if you talked first. And so, of course, I never said a word to the guy. <laughs> I scared, I scared the, um, at the time, and I was. When we were playing, he was the only guy in the NFL that we that we really, really game planned. Mm-hmm. Now, so my second year is when I'm starting, right? I'm in the starting huddle, starting my second year. My first year, I ran up, obviously played some center, I played some guard, I played some tackle and some games, but I didn't start any games my rookie years. Um, my second year, I'm starting at left guard, and our third, my my third NFL start is on Monday Night Football. At the vet against the New York Giants, and um, you know, watching film, we've got a game plan. We're going to slide to LT every snap, you know, um, and it's you know, it's on. And so, I, you know, I, I don't know. I think I'm having a pretty good week of work. I'm, you know, I know the game plan. That's one of the things that you know I prided myself on. I knew what every play was going to be and where everybody was supposed to be, and uh, I wasn't, I wasn't too nervous. Until I'm coming out of the tunnel and the Monday night music comes on, <laughs> and I just about crap my pants, right? <laughs> like, because they had just um, in '87, the strike year, they won the Super Bowl. So, you know, we're coming out to play them. They're defending Super Bowl champions. They've got Harry Carson and Jim Burt and Leonard Marshall and Carl Banks and Lawrence <laughs> Taylor. And you're talking about reaching and grabbing and hanging on. Um, since I played guard, I didn't get very many times where I was one-on-one with LT. But he and Leonard Marshall were always on the same side, and they were always running stunts, TEs and ETs. And so, man, um, it was probably five or six times in that game when they would run an ET. I'd punch Leonard Marshall out, and here comes LT. And I would just get real high on my feet because um, I knew if he ran over me and he, if he tried to, he was going to. I could grab onto him, and it would be a slow beat. So, but I didn't want him. To, 
I didn't want him to head, you know, head fake me and kill Randall Cunningham. Right. And so I would just get real high and real tall and make my surface real wide and grab the first piece of cloth that got to me. Um, didn't give up a sack, but man, uh, I should have been called for holding about seven times probably. <laughs> Well, that's a great thing. It, the re, the refs won't call holding hardly uh, very often. You can normally get away with it. Maybe not. Maybe not when you were playing, but especially now, guys get away with it so much. Yeah, the same thing. You know, um, everybody. You had to hold LT. I mean, everybody <laughs> held him. But, yeah. You know, Anthony. You know, Anthony Munoz had to hold him. You know, so because he was so good. So. And if they did call holding on you one time, they felt so bad for you, they were never going to call it again. <laughs> so you get that holding call in the first quarter, second quarter, you know, the rest of the game, you were going to be ripping his jersey off. So you play against LT. Obviously, you blocked against uh, Reggie in practice. Yeah. Um, and so you, I think you told me at one point, you know, obviously LT was you know, the best edge guy. Yeah, Reggie was the best combo power freak freakazoid. But you also said a guy, uh, Eric Swan, that maybe a lot a lot of guys don't remember. Talk a little bit about Eric Swan because you said he was kind of a different kind of beast. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, you know, playing against Reggie, you know, you know, we played against him in practice for I think um, I think ninety two was his last year there. So so six years we were teammates. And then I played against him a few times when he was with the Packers. But all right, Eric Swan. Um, he there's a there's a story. If you want to, if you got some time, you want to Google a guy. Um, didn't play college football. Mm-hmm. Was playing minor league minor league football, um, making a couple hundred bucks a game. Outdoor eleven man minor league football, and he gets drafted um, by the Arizona Cardinals. And of course, no one knew anything about this guy, and, and everybody thought, oh, you know, no college minor league. That man was – you would grab a hold of him because he didn't have a whole lot of technique. He hadn't been coached very well until he got to the NFL. But when you grabbed a hold of him, you felt I, – I could honestly tell you, I felt power coming through <laughs> that. Absolutely the strongest human being I ever grabbed a hold of. And I grabbed a hold of some really strong people. Um, but that guy, uh, I would have loved to have seen him in the weight room. Because he he could pick grown NFL linemen up and throw them. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Good. It was it was amazing. You know, because he was an inside guy. You know, we all saw Reggie White. Reggie White did the same thing. You know, he he embarrassed NFL offensive tackles. Um, but Eric Swan. Now, and Eric, you know, I. I don't know Eric very well, you know, never was in a locker room with him, but, you know, talking to him on a football field, you know, his communication skills weren't the strongest. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> is, is, that the, is that the best yeah. way I can? Yeah. I was going to say, I remember one time, there's another time you and I were talking about it, and you've said it a few times, but, you know, understanding as an offensive lineman, usually those guys are going to be the more cerebral, smarter player and I think you even put it this way one time you're like coach walls defensive linemen are dumb right (laughs) (laughs) and you said that and you said that many times and you always use that to your advantage especially like in pass protection you know hey if if they if they see an inside track they're going to take it you know or if they they see if they see a lane they're going to take it they'll get out of their lane they'll they'll be undisciplined but 
I distinctly remember you saying that. <laughs> well, you know, my, my, yes, honestly, the truth. And, and, and I don't mean they're stupid by, you know, yeah. book smart. But I, what I mean by that is, and I, I've used that point when I teach, uh, when I teach pass protection. Right. As an offensive lineman, if you will take a great pass set, okay, mm -hmm. if you put yourself between in the vision, between the vision of the defensive lineman and the defensive player, and I mean, the defensive lineman and the quarterback, right, you will take away their first move, right? On a third down, a good defensive lineman has got in his head, all right, this is the move I'm going to use right here. But if you'll take a great pass set, you immediately make them go to their second move, right? And mm -hmm. that'll buy you a couple seconds. To get your hands on them, right? Move your feet. You know, in the NFL, if the, if the ball's not gone on a seven-step drop in the NFL in 3.2 or 3.3, right, then the defensive line is going to win anyway. So, um, now, so what I would do that, how do I would use that to my advantage, right? If we were, if I knew, you know, it was going to be a, a, a short roll with a quarterback, we called it waggle, or it was going to be a deep set, I would intentionally give the, the defensive lineman a view to the quarterback, whether I wanted on my outside or my inside, or I would give him a view of the quarterback to where I knew I had to my help side, and I would get the defense lineman to go where I wanted to on his second step. Um, and so, you know, back then I was, I, you know, I thought I was big. I was really strong. I, I was good in the weight room, um, but I wasn't the biggest human being. I was 6'3", 280 pounds, and – you know, playing against Jerome Browns and Reggie Whites and, um, you know, Jim Burtz and Eric Howards and Leonard Marshalls in the NFL, you know, I had to um, make them go where I wanted to with my pass set and with my first step on the run plays. Um, I, I manipulated the defensive lineman with my head placement and my hand placement, uh, you know, and not so much my brute strength. Well, the, also the thing that's always been um... – you know, really fascinating to me is that at a time where they were using the AstroTurf and the helmets were, um, you know, not as yeah. uh, not what they are today, and and you know, playing at the vet with such bad, you know, bad field rated worst field every year, and and all that, you still were able to, and it's hard to do it even now with with the best of equipment. You know, play what ten plus years, so uh, yeah, you know, obviously you got to be you got to be tough to be able to do that. But, you know, how, how do you think that – how did you make it to where obviously a lot of it's from being smart and being able to make defenders go, but how do you get that kind of longevity um, in the NFL and especially at that time where kind of everything was against players being able to year after year be able to play? Well, oh, man, Raddy, I don't want to attribute that to anything but a little bit of luck, honestly. Um, you know – you play, I don't know the exact number. I think I had um, like 114 or 115 consecutive starts, right? Um, and, you know, it, it meant more to me than, than not playing. You know, I, obviously you don't play that many years and games without having some injuries, right? I mean, you know, um, hand in a cast or thumb broken or, you know, bad sprained ankle or pulled calf or, you know, just the stomach stuff you have. I mean, it's just going to happen. Um, it just meant so much to me to play, to not let the guards down or my tackles down or the team down. Um, I, I don't know. I just had a – it meant more 
for me not to let my teammates down than it did for me to play. You know, I, I was playing for them. Um, yeah, you know, you talk about the vet, and, you know, I played at Tulsa University, and we had, you know, indoor-outdoor carpets, what we played on. You know, it's what we practiced. You know, I practiced, you know, 20, pa- 20, uh, 20 practices in spring ball, and then <laughs> five seasons at Tulsa, and then go to the vet and play there. Um, it, yeah, it was rough. I, you know, I just didn't know any better. All I knew was, um, you know, I was going to get to compete against Dan Saliamua and, you know, Kevin Fagan from the 49ers, and, you know, Leon Lett and Russell Maryland and Tony Casillas and those guys from Dallas. And, you know, I was lucky to get to play. I was lucky to be there. Um, and I was always – I always played scared. I think I told Brady this, you know. Yeah. Um, yep. for, the, for, the first, for the first five years of my career, you know, even after I'd been starting for four years, every day when I showed up at the locker room, I would come in the door and I had to walk around this little half wall and the first thing I would look at was to see my nameplate above my locker. Hmm. Um, so, I, I, you know, I went to work. I, I used the word scared. I don't know about – yeah, I mean, I guess scared. Scared to lose my job, right? And, you know, you knew in Philadelphia, you, you know, you didn't get a phone call that you were getting cut. You know, you showed up to work, and the equipment manager had taken your nameplate down and emptied your locker. <laughs> And then, so that's when you knew you, you know, turn around and you take your playbook and you go find your position coach and turn your playbook in. And they, you know, they tell you to go to the airport and there's a plane ticket waiting on you. Um, and so, you know, I wonder if I felt like I missed a game or missed a play, then, you know, my nameplate was going to get taken down and somebody else's name was going to be in my locker. How big of an adjustment has it been, Coach A? I don't know if I've ever really asked you this, but no, maybe I have. Um, uh, you know, you you being a guy who played with toughness, played through pain, play, played through injuries, and now being a, a head coach, how tough is it for you sometimes to see, you know, kids maybe being a little bit soft or complaining about something and and not maybe working through that? Has that been a big ad- adjustment for you as as a head coach now, kind of having to maybe, you know, not just coach the O line, but you're having to kind of intermix and intermingle all of these different pieces to the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, when I was a position coach, um, you know, I, it just really, really chewed me up, you know, to not see, you know, uh, some, you know, some kids exemplifying some toughness. Um, the, boy, what, there's been, there were a lot of huge adjustments I had to make to becoming a head coach, um, a lot of huge ones. And one of them was, you know, um, you're trying to, you know, you have to think, you know, some, some kind of, sometimes in long-term situations instead of short-term as a position coach mm-hmm. um, or as a player. And so, um, when, you know, when kids, you know, come up with – they know the, the workout's going to be hard, right? They yeah. know it's Friday. We're going to push sleds. And they go to the training room because they've got a tight hamstring. You know, um, you know and you're like – you go in there and you want to say, you know, you want to say, hey, man, you know, your teammates need you out there, right? But, you know, you got to say, well, all right, young man, I need you to come back and play. You know, the team needs you. You know, you think you could get – you think you could fight through this a little bit, right? Hmm. Because on Friday night, we're going to play Jinx. We're going to play Union. We're going to play Mansfield, Texas. We're going to play Lewis Trinity. And you're going to be sore. You're going to be tired. And you're going to be – it's going to hurt, you know. Um Let's go. Let's go see how that hamstring feels, and um, you know, you know the, the 
everything's changed. Um, and I, and I'm trying to change with it, coach walls and coach Harper. Um, you know, it's football, still football. And when you put your hand on the ground, right, it's still going to be the toughest guy wins, Mm -hmm. right? It's still, it's still a game of right physicality. And it's still a game of, if I can knock you down more times than you can knock me down, if I can forcibly move you someplace you don't want to be, if I can make you try to tackle me in space, right, that team is going to win every single time. Um, but so it's, it's how to teach toughness without, um, you know. Yeah, being demeaning. Getting, yeah, being demeaning, right, mm-hmm. and, and – and telling them they're not doing things right. Just teach, just showing them toughness, and showing them how how what it takes to win tough football games. Um, and so, you know, what I've tried to do here lately, the last couple of years, is is teach toughness to players that maybe need to be taught toughness by just um, praising kids that are showing the toughness. There you right? go. Our, our Carter Keys and our Kaiser Newells and Sammy Akims and those guys that are so tough every day, just pointing out when we're in a group team setting how tough Sammy Akim is. Sammy, you're the, you're the toughest son of a gun here. You know, Matt Kaiser, who, who you don't know, look at this guy block, mm-hmm. right? Look, 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 what you're, look what these guys are doing to other people, moving them off the ball, blocking, you know, past the whistle sometimes. Um, but by the end, you know, trying to tackle Noah Cortez or Jamal Shaw, right? Look what look what those guys are doing to people. Um, and so that you know, trying to teach through positive examples um, is is kind of the way it is right now. Yeah, I like that. How you're, you're having that conversation, you know, trying to to build that confidence and and putting the onus back on the kid. Like, hey, man, you know, we're we're counting on you. Your your teammates are counting on you. I'm I'm going to have to count on you in the fourth quarter, and then. You know, at, at, at the, in the same vein saying, you know what, if you can't really go here, you're kind of testing my trust. So maybe, you know, if, if, you're, if you're looking to get the football in a, in a big-time situation because I know that's what you want, guess what? This is going to be in the back of my mind. You know, remember right. that day when, when you were kind of tapping out and I thought you could have gone through it? You know, not, not breaking the kid down, but just letting him know honestly how you feel about it, you know? Yeah. I had my big parent meeting. I had two really big parent meetings um, a year, and I just had my spring one. And um, this is always the big, biggest, most well-attended one. And, and I told my parents this thing, this right here. I said, yes, ability, right? Your ability to help Broken Air Tigers win football games is very, very important. But your dependability, your reliability, right, is more important, mm-hmm. right? Um, your dependability to your teammates, your accountability to your teammates, and your reliability to your coaching staff, right, is is just a, just as important or more important than your ability. Um, so because ability without effort or without want to is just is wasted ability. Yeah, it's going to show up pretty sporadically. I know that. Well, and then it, it's come a long ways. It's it's awesome to hear that, and I, I see it every day that that how you have to do it now and and preach toughness but it's come a long ways from from when and probably for the better for the kids but from when you were playing and you were in the NFL and, and you tell me that concussion story about having to ask the guard which way 
guys are supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of yeah. my favorite ones too. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know how many questions I had, man. Um, but I I can tell you three that were that were pretty pretty good one. Pretty pretty good one. We're playing <laughs> Chicago Bears Soldier Field, and I get hit in the head. I don't even remember the play that I got hit on. But I remember going back to huddle and the quarter and Randall standing in the huddle and he calls a play. Right? And I now this in this one, I know I'm in the game. I know we're playing the Bears. I know I'm on the Philadelphia Eagles. But the words that are coming out of Randall Cunningham's mouth don't mean anything to me. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's Chinese, right? So you know, but just like Pavlov's dog, he says "ready break," and Ryan, I clap my hands, I turn around, I run, I run to the line of scrimmage. And but I I um I turned to my right guard, a guy named Ron Solt, and I said, "What's the play?" He he was like, you know, and of course I was a guy that told everybody, made all the calls, told everybody what to do. He's like, "What do you mean what's the play?" I said, "What's the play?" And he told me the play again, and then again it didn't mean anything to me. I said, "Is it a run or a pass?" <laughs> he said, it's a it's a run. I said, "Which way, right or left?" So he run to the right. I'm like, okay, here we go. So I, you know, I snap the ball and I run to the right, and and that went on for about four or five plays. And I didn't know it, I didn't know anything. We came to the sidelines, and uh, Salt like Ron Salt's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm all right, man. I'm gonna be fine. Just just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do, and I'm gonna be good. And that uh, you know, it it didn't that didn't that. You know, not being able to remember anything only lasted, you know, like I said, four or five plays, maybe half the next series, and then I was good. Um, but that was kind of weird. That was really, really weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, we're a little ways off of that. And like I said, it, it obviously for the better for the kids, but it's, it's um, yeah. you know, a big change, I'm sure, yeah. for you to go from that all the way to, to kind of what it's morphed into now. And so it's cool. It's cool seeing you do that, that stuff with those mm-hmm. kids. I'm, I've always kind of been – my big fascination's always been offensive line coaches turn into head coaches, and now, you know, we've talked to some on, on the podcast that they still are the head offensive line coaches, and then we talk to some like you that are the head coach, and then you help with the offensive line uh, when you get over there. But I was curious, your first year, you know, obviously it makes it easy having Walls and having Jake be the offensive line coach, but how was that right. being able to turn that position over to – um, a, a different coach. Well, uh, you know, it being Brady and Jake, that Coach Walls and Coach Alexander that first year um, was easy, right? I knew I knew that Coach Walls knew as much or more than I did, and could teach the and was able to teach the kids and get the game plan over across to them. Um, and then when I hired you, right? When, when I first interviewed you, Coach Harper, right? What was one of the things I immediately told you? Right? It's going to be hard to work for Coach Alexander. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I gave you a warning. It, you know, offensive line's my baby. Um, but you know, you you do as good or better job than I ever did. Um, now, so that that part of it of being the offensive line, I've been so lucky to have the guys coaching the offensive line that I've I've got um, between you and Coach Walls. Um, but now I, I will tell you, and I've told you this plenty of times, uh, Rowdy. Um, I I miss having my own meeting room and having my own group of 10, 12, 15 guys, right? Because um, in your meeting rooms, you know, it's kind of a little sanctuary. 
and you can you can take two minutes of your your 20 minute meeting time or or even 30 seconds and talk about something besides football you you, you know you know who your left guard girlfriend is or who's struggling in English class or you know you can tell jokes and have fun um you know and I you know you lose that as the head guy you lose you know make as many really really deep relationships um with kids you know you guys know so much more about your position kids than I do and I'm jealous of that I'm jealous of that you know not being able to you know know who um you know Dirty Robinson's girlfriend is or what he's how he's scored on the ACT um you know so I have to write down a little notes to myself to make sure to go ask um players you know every day you know I try to pick one or two or three if I can ask them how their day was how's class you know did you break up did your girlfriend dump you this week you know all that stuff because if I don't write it down and go do it you know I'll, I'll catch myself going two or three days and have not asked a position player, you know, a personal question. And um, I think it's real important, but golly, you know, when you, when you've got 120 players and you've got, uh, you know, you got administrative duties and you got stuff you got to do and, you know, you, you just don't want to get, you don't want to get so busy that you forget that those kids are teenagers, you know, and they want to know that you care about their math class and their girlfriend and their new car they bought, even though it's not new, it's new to them, right? They've got a <laughs> car that's got 105,000 miles on it with an oil leak, right? They want to know that you care about it. <laughs> Coach, you work, you work for Alan Trimble too. Um, and I, you know, we've, we've talked about him a bunch on the podcast, but uh, you know, I, I always thought it was just awesome how well he could handle. And I, and I say, well, I know, I know he got angry and perturbed, many times but he handled it way way better than i probably would have but all the all the arrows and behind the scenes stuff that he did you know talk a little bit about you know that stuff that you kind of learned from him and i know you've done a a lot of that same stuff at broken arrow you know that that a lot of your assistants don't know about you know i got to hear a little bit more about it because obviously you and i were pretty good buddies but you know talk a little bit about that aspect of the job and and how important that is if you're going to be a head coach well, um, man, you know, I've tried to do so many things that Alan did. Um, you know, I, I started coaching high school football, you know, really late in my life compared to most most guys, right? I, yeah. I, I got the job on the varsity at Jinx um, in 06. So, you know, I'm 42 years old when I get a job on the varsity. Uh, and I, I had a lot of life experiences. Um, but to see how Alan, um, you know, handled his staff right mm-hmm. he um he gave them ownership right uh he gave them he gave the coordinators ownership in what they were doing he gave them ownership over their their staff and uh you know alan was always so hating that was the one thing that for a guy of his accomplishments always amazed me um he always put himself at the bottom and um behind everybody else and that amazed me for a guy you know at that time he had you know I think when I got there they had eight or nine he had eight or nine state championships right and then while I was there you know we he won another three or four um but it was never ever about Alan Tremble he you know if you asked him he didn't have hardly anything to do with that except driving the bus 
Yeah, he drove the uh, bus. <laughs> yeah, drove the bus, and you know, of course, there was those when he was driving the bus. There were some of the those were some of the scariest moments of my life. By the way, <laughs> oh, oh my god, you never <laughs> knew if so you're gonna. The JV uh, nights are the funniest. When oh you would drive gosh. on the JV nights. <laughs> I've got I've got such a great story. We were coming back. We played JV in Tahlequah, and we're we're driving back. I'm sitting in the front row, and he's driving the bus. He's got a he's got a um, styrofoam thing of Charlie's chicken on his lap. He's got a cell. He's, he's holding the cell phone with his shoulder. He's talking on the shelf cell phone. Driving the bus with one hand, eating Charlie's chicken with the other in a driving rainstorm. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, I guess his I guess he's already lost his CDL license right right by now. But you know, so I'm not I'm not causing him any grief. But I'm thinking, you know, we are going to be in a fiery car crash here, and there's going to be Charlie's chicken chunks everywhere, and. It's, <laughs> Yeah, and but he, you know, that nothing was nothing was below Coach Trimble, right? Doing the laundry, um, oh. picking up the field, picking up trash, um, running errands for assistant coaches, you know, making copies, uh, yeah, you know, breaking down, breaking down film. Uh, he'd, he'd go you know, get you food all the time. I mean, you're always fed. I mean, that was the the cool thing. Hey, what do you guys want to eat? You know, he, he'd get you out of he get you out of class to break down. You know, to to be like, hey, you need an extra day to break down union? Uh, yeah, okay, hey, I'll I'll get you out of class. I mean, little yeah, stuff like that that well, just showed that he cared about you. You know, right? And just um, everything he everything he did for you, and you know, he was teaching he was teaching kids and and players how to be humble and how to serve mm-hmm. without talking. About it, right? He was. You would see Alan picking up trash on the field. Right or doing the laundry, right? And he's showing kids, even though he's as accomplished as a high school football coach as there is in the country, that right you have to serve to lead. Mm-hmm. And um, and and when I got the job, when I so when I I get the job working for the varsity for the first time, um, you know I I really didn't know the guy. I had I had we had been acquaintances. I had worked kind of with him when I was doing the youth league there in Jinx and, and, and we met quite a bit and did some work together, but you know, I had never been in the same room with him. Um, just to see a man of his accomplishments, uh, you know, not ever, 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 ever have a boastful moment. Never. Um, and it just, that, that was the first thing that stood out to me. Well, you, you talk about, you know, being humble and, and it's probably why you guys get along so well, but that's something that you kind of skipped over, but me and Walls have talked about a lot of people have problems with, but you're a 10-year NFL veteran and, and coming back to coaching, and you go and you coach um, junior high. I mean, you're the junior high offensive line coach there for a while. And so um, kind of – you would kind of talk through that, but, you know, there's, there's just not many people that are even – they played at some small junior college for half a, a year that are willing to come back and, and right away coach junior high. You know, there's not many people that do that, but – you did all the way from being a 10-year NFL offensive lineman. You, you know, started coaching junior high. Well, I did, Rowdy. I did. I coached uh, eighth grade football um, for four years at Jinx. Um, you know, and first first off, I want to let you know, I absolutely freaking loved coaching eighth grade football. Yes. Okay. Um, loved it. You, you know, I had um, 70 kids that we split up into two teams. 
that wanted to learn. They they were young and they were growing and they 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 were sponges. And I could, you know, I could tell them. I mean, I never did. But you could you could tell them the wrong technique and they would just eat it up and thought it was wonderful. But so, but when you taught eighth grade kids, when you taught them how to play football and then they got it right, you know, the smile on their face and the you know and then um, have success. Uh, was fantastic. Um, I loved coaching eighth grade football. Um, now we were, you know, I was, I, I don't know, I man, I, I have no idea. Um, you know, we had some really good football players, and you know, so we won a lot of games in eighth grade. And then when, so when Coach Trimble asked me to come up to varsity uh, as assistant offensive line coach, I was like, um, oh, sure, yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know now. You mentioned it, and I don't think you're trying to bring up anybody in specific there, Coach Harper. But you know, um, I, I've interviewed a lot of people to, um, for jobs, high school coaches, right? And they'll be they'll come out of they've played it, um, maybe maybe played a little bit of college football, and you know they want to be coordinators, and and they want to be the next yeah. Gus Malzahn. I'm like, you know then it's not that easy. You know, I'm going to expect you to do a lot of work. I'm going to expect you during the football season to work seven days a week. And I'm, you know, I'm going to expect our game plans to be this and that. And, and you, know, you have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Coach, but I'm ready to call plays. Man, being a coordinator at high school level at six, eight football is more than calling football plays. And, you know, and I tell a, a young coach, a 24 year old young man, Hey, once you go down and call plays for my eighth grade team for two or three years, oh, coach, I, you know I don't need to coach eighth grade. I'm like, well, you, you don't need to work for Broken Arrow, you know. Um, it's 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 uh, it's the cell phone generation we're in, right? Immediate gratification. You know, yep. I'm going to call plays for a six A school, and we're going to win a state championship this year. Well, you know, if that happens, then yes, you are the Gus, Gus Malzahn. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you know, if you ask, and if you ask Gus Malzahn, he'll tell you it didn't happen for him his first year either. He struggled for a long time at Shiloh Christian before he won his first one, and then moved up to Springdale and yeah, won some championships. Yeah, I mean, you know, he struggled for a long, long time until he found out what his niche was as a play caller and how to set up defenses. You know, it's just it's not easy. Yeah, I like what you said to, tonight in the draft. You talked a little bit about uh, Mayfield. And you're like, you know, I, I got a lot of questions. And you said, I got a lot of questions about how he'll handle struggle. You know, he, he was very, very successful every place he was at. Well, he's going to a place that's won one game in two years or, or whatever right. the heck it is. So, I mean, I, I right. think it brings up a lot. You know, a lot of these young guys go into it. All they've faced is success, success. They hear how awesome they are. Well, right. all of a sudden, something goes bad. How are they going to handle it? Well, <laughs> You're at the high school level at, in a, in a right. big school like Broken Arrow, man. If you haven't experienced that stuff yet or haven't had that in your life, it's going to be a really, really difficult deal. So I, I couldn't agree more, man. I loved coaching lower level ball. It, it did yeah. teach you to, to to remain humble, but it also forced you to to simplify things. And I think that's going to be true at any any level. If if, if things are too complex, it's going to fall apart eventually, unless you have you know guys at Stanford. Well, how many how many times in Baker Mayfield's career, right? High school, right? Even even that year, one year, I think it was six or eight games at Texas Tech, mm -hmm. or at OU. How many times in those 
those in his career has he been on the sideline of a team that had less talent than the team he was playing, right? At OU, they always had better talent than any team they were playing, right? Every team they played, they had at least equal talent. Yes. Um, you know, when he was in high school, I mean, every game they played, they had better talent than the team they were playing. Yes. Sorry, he's going to go to Cleveland. He's going to go to the Cleveland Browns. Does the, does the dude have moxie? Does, is the kid smart? Does the kid have arm talent? Yes, yes, yes. Check all those boxes. Um, now he's going to be he's going to be on the sideline of a team every week. The team they're playing against has equal or better talent than they have. Mm-hmm. So you're going to struggle. You're going to throw interceptions. You're going to get sacked. You're going to you know it's going to be rough. How you going to how you going to get up? Right, just like Dave Alexander. Right, you're blocking. Red, they're they're in, they're in 46 defense and inside run. You got Reggie White. You know. <laughs> You know, uh, dripping sweat on the football, right? Are you going to get better, right? Are you going to say, "Man, football's not for me," and check it in? Um, so, uh, you know, you can't measure a guy's heart. We, you know, you can see Baker Mayfield make plays, and you can see him. He is a stud, and he could probably get up on the board and draw every coverage and every pass combination, and tell you what to throw against man and what to throw against zone. And what run plays are great against this box and that slant, and you know, and and do all that. But what's it going to be like when right? Um, JJ Watt is is four inches from the center, and you're in man protection up front, and you know you've got two seconds to get the ball before JJ Watt hits you in the collarbone. <laughs> now, how are you going to handle that? And then, and not only that, I mean, you, you're going to have you know 36 million reasons to just be like, you know what? Hey, I got my money. You know, right. how, how, much, how much do you really like it? You know, is, is it worth it for this? That, that's why, you know, I, I always loved hearing your opinion on quarterbacks because, you know, obviously you didn't play quarterback. I mean, you probably would have been a stud, right, if you would have. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would have been. <laughs> but but uh, your, your other son was the quarterback, all right, Kyle. So, you know, I, I always yeah. liked, honestly, to, to have these conversations with you, and, and they're they're all out there trying to find their their next franchise QB in the in the draft right now. But I always like listening to your insight because obviously you've been in a lot of locker rooms, uh, you'd right. seen a lot of a lot of quarterbacks, you'd seen a lot of different ways to lead. So I, I was just appreciated some of your insight about that as far as saw that worked, things that didn't work. What are some things you're looking for in your high school QBs now? Because you've you've obviously said, hey. Our quarterback here is going to be the face of Broken Arrow football, and here's kind of what right. we expect of you. Yeah, well, quarterbacks, right? You are uh, on the outside of the locker room, uh, on the outside of the football field, and up in the stands, right? You are the face of the program, right? I mean, you're the mm-hmm. most in every pro- high school to the NFL. Um, but in the locker room, the best leaders don't want to be the face of the program inside the locker room. Right, they were. Mm-hmm. They need to be going around the locker room and be the builder up, or right. They need to be the supporter of everybody else in there. Um, the quarterback, the best quarterbacks I've been around, um, are the most humble. You know, as far as their accomplishments. If you've yeah. got a, if you've got a self-promoting quarterback, um, man, it just, right, it just. It just never – it doesn't ever end well. Yeah. Um, you, know, go, you know, go look at Bill Parcells, you know, uh, rules for drafting a quarterback. 
and those still stand true today, and they still t- they stand true in high school football, right? If you've got um, well, Coach Wallace, you and I were talking the other day, mm-hmm. and you know you said something that I've passed on to Jay Wilkinson, our offensive coordinator, right? If you've got a young man on third and eight, and you you're as a as, a, as an offense, you call the protection, you're expecting split man coverage, so you're in max protection and a two-man or maybe a, maybe a three-man route, right? Yeah. And instead, it comes out, they, they rush three, they drop eight, man, everybody's – nobody's going to be open, right? And it's third and eight. Is your quarterback going to hit the check down, get four yards, and be happy with a punt and play defense on a long field, right? Or are they going to throw it into double coverage, right? Try to, try to throw it in a small window in a tight zone and throw a pick, Right, and they're going to come to the sideline and say, "I thought I could make that play for you, coach." You know, um, in the end, you're not going to win with that. In the end, you're going to win with the quarterback that um, does what what he's supposed to do. You know, now they have to have ability, right? They have to be able to run, they have to be able to throw, they have to be able to check it to the a gap and all that stuff. They have to be smart, but they also have to put the team first, and they have to be the the least selfish player on the football field. And in my opinion, uh, and other people may disagree with me, I just think the quarterback has to be the least selfish guy in the locker room. Agreed. You know, outside the, outside the locker room, in the newspaper, you know, they're going to get interviewed, you know, and they need to, again, they need to deflect, right, praise and accept criticism. And, and, and you do that in a locker room and all – in the NFL locker room, the other 48 guys are going to love you. In a college locker room, the other 79 guys are going to love you. And a broken air high school, the other 119 guys are going to love you. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you, you're hitting nail on the head. I mean, it, it, you know, everyone talks about the quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback. It is the most, you know, reliant position in football. You have to have five linemen that block. One of them breaks down, you're not going to be a very good player. You have to have four or five receivers that can run a route. You have to have running backs that can carry the football and, and take that load off of you. You have to have a defense that can stop people. So, I mean, the guys that understand that and understand that it's not all about me standing back there looking pretty and, and launching, you said it. those are the guys that are going to be successful. Right. And, you know, look at uh, – and you know, it's easy. Since, we're, since the NFL drafts on – We've, we've talked a little bit about it, you know, and we talked a little bit of NFL stuff. Look at the Hall of Fame quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. But just the ones that are playing now, right? Aaron Rodgers, sure, he does some com- some commercials, right? But you don't you don't see him talking about himself, right? Look at you know Peyton Manning, even look at um, all the, any of them, any of the great ones, yeah. Um, you know, but while while they're playing, while they're in a locker room. You know, Brett Favre, all he wanted to talk about was um, Sharp and Chimura and the guys that were catching the balls and the guys that were scoring touchdowns. Um, so even those guys at the highest level that are they're doing it, um, you know, and, we, you know, we've talked about uh, – you, you brought up my son Kyle. Yeah. You know, um, you, you know, you got to give uh, Dub Maddox and Brady Walls and Alan Trimble a lot of credit – for him, for Kyle Alexander being successful, I mean, you know, not a super talented kid, um, but a kid that, you know, the team meant one hell of a lot to, and 
you know, he, he believed in what Coach Walls and what Coach Maddox and what Coach Trimble were speaking, and he did what the playbook said to do. And if, it, and if the coverage said throw the check down, you do the check down. If the coverage said throw the ball deep, you do it deep. And, you know, that's how you win football games. Well, you bring up, you know, Kyle again, and, and um, we've obviously – we've talked about Jake a little bit. So, my always – my big question is, obviously, as a dad, eventually, hopefully, getting to coach my son, um, assuming that he hopefully likes football. Um, I think the big – always the problem is, or the, the tough part is, you know, how does it go being your coach's kid, even to where we've had coaches that don't want to coach their kids. So, you obviously yeah. did too. And one, you directly coached, and, and I know they're both yeah. – both very differently and one you didn't directly coach you were just on the team but I think you did a great job of most dads don't see their kid for what they are they always think they're a lot better than they are and you always seem to be very um, objective o- over that fact and and from the way you've talked you really enjoyed coaching them so what's kind of some advice you'd have maybe for some of those coaches that um, are trying to decide what they do with with coaching their kid or not or how to coach their kid well, that's a boy, Rowdy. Um, <laughs> two different sons, they were, they were totally different human beings. Um, and they had to be coached differently, you know, or excuse me, they had to be fathered differently. Hmm. You know, with Jake, with Jake, Jake was a football junkie. And, um, man, we talked ball all the time. And Jake, um, maybe it's being an offensive lineman, I don't know. But, you know, I could, I could say anything I wanted to to Jake uh, on the practice field and that you know to him once we walked in the locker room he dumped it out there on the field and it was over um boy coaching Kyle or being on the same staff when Kyle was there uh (laughs) Kyle and I never could talk football ever (laughs) I, I, I realized that early I mean I realized that back when he was in little league um you know I we would get in the car after a game or after practice and we would talk about everything but football. Um, you know, the only thing would come up with, you know, Kyle, Hey, nice practice or, you know, or, you know, what'd you think of that play? You know, we put in a new play today. What do you think? You know, and get his opinion, man, I, I could not critique Kyle either positively or negatively. Um, it's, you know, um, and my advice to other dads uh, that are coaching their sons or if you know if, if you've got listeners that have a daughter and they're coaching them in girls basketball whatever right um you know coach them but you know but be their parent away from from you know don't don't be a coach 24 hours a day you know mm-hmm. be a dad and be supportive um and you gotta you gotta read your own kid just like you read um, your other players, you, there's some players you can, you can chew their butt out and it works great for them. It works good for you. And there's some, you know, you better get your point across with a hug and a, and a dap them up and, you know, tell them you love them, but please don't fumble again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and then the best advice is, you know, your son or your daughter is playing for you or, you know, that's, that is their season. That's their team. That's not, you know, you're not playing anymore. You know, mm-hmm. when Kyle and Jake were playing, I wasn't playing anymore. I'd already played. Right. So, and that's really hard for that's I know it's so hard for parents because that's who I talk to all the time. Right. As parents, I talk to more parents than kids. It's <laughs> not your, 
not your season, right? Um, you know, I love your son. You love your son. You know, let's support your son and have some and let him have some success and celebrate those successes. You know, whether they're small or whether they're huge. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's just bringing back a lot of these memories, man. When we got to work together. I couldn't agree more, man. I, I obviously won't have any kids that I know of anyway that are, are going to be playing. They're going to be playing football anytime soon. But I mean, I, I think that's that's totally the truth, man. And enjoy it. You know why? Why make it stressful? I remember, you know, a lot of the conversations right. you'd have with with some of the parents about recruiting. You know, c- control yeah. the things you can control. You know, none none of us can get a kid offered. He can go out there. He he can do his best, and and let's just see what happens. But for you to, to yeah. sit there and stress about it and spend a bunch of money on it and worry about it and go to all these camps, you know, is it really worth it? I don't know. You know, to me, I'd rather just enjoy being with my son and enjoy his, his senior year of football personally. Right. Yeah. Enjoy it and, and try to enjoy it. Um, you know, again, I talked to my parents at my big parent meeting and um, I told them, I asked, this is, this is how I started my meeting this year. Okay, moms and dads, if I asked you to raise your hand, if you wanted to have um, your son this year, everything just be perfect, right? He's the middle linebacker. He makes 100 tackles a game. He's the wide receiver, and he's catching 10 passes and six touchdowns. Right? If he's the starting quarterback, and he throws for 6,000 yards and, and all this stuff, every one of you would raise your hand, right? And they all nodded, right? If I, all right, parents, separate question. If I ask you all, do you want Broken Arrow Tigers to win a state championship this year? Right? Every single one of you would raise, their, raise your hand. Now, if I ask you parents, right, if you, if, you had to, uh, if you had to give up dream one to get dream two, how many of you would raise your hands? Right? And, and, and I said, honestly, parents, not very many of you would raise your hand, right? You know, and now – so. All the coaches' dreams are to put together a team that plays so well together and things go right and we don't get any injuries that we are able to win a state championship. So when we can mesh those together, your dreams and our dreams and the, your kids' dreams and the football team's dreams together, right, that's when we'll win a state championship. That's, that's when we're a team and it all, and it all comes together. Um, you know, and I understand parents and I understand kids. If you ask the team, What's your number one goal this year, quarterback? Hey, I want to throw for – I want to be all-state quarterback and I want to throw for 4,000 yards and I want to get a scholarship to whatever university. Well, you can't, you can't control whether you get a scholarship to, right, to Monmouth State, right? And you can't, <laughs> you can't control whether you're the all-state quarterback. You know, what happens, what happens quarterback, if you – you do. You throw for 4,000 yards and 35 touchdowns and, and only four interceptions. And you've had a fantastic year. But some quarterback across the state throws for 5,000 yards and 60 touchdowns and no interceptions, right? He's going to be the all-state quarterback, right? Does that mean you had a bad year because you didn't reach your goal? No, you had a great year, you know? So don't set your goals on something that you don't have any control um, attaining. Um, set your goals on stuff that you that's easy easy to attain, or not? Well, not excuse me. I don't want to say easy to attain. Set your goals on things you can control. Yes. 
Yeah, you can't control the level that you're going to play at. You can't control how someone else thinks about you as a player. I mean, to to get right. mired up in all those things and then to to blame other people for that. You know, oh, my co- coach ain't getting me a scholarship. Or coach isn't getting me a look. It's like, hey, man, <laughs> there's been a lot of people through here to, to see you, and they're passing. Right. Right. There's right. nothing you can do about that. Go to a place where they want you, or hey, you know, maybe. Maybe it's not in the cards, but at the end of the day, you could have an unbelievable senior year and, you know what, walk out with a ring. Right. Exactly. If, you know, if I had a suitcase of, of scholarships, I'd hand them to my seniors every year, you know, but I, I don't. Um, and I, I work my butt off for these kids. And, I, you know, we get more kids scholarships. You know, Brady, when you were there, and, and you know, now Jay's doing it. We, we had more kids sign scholarships this year than anybody in Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we had 13 kids sign scholarships, and seven of those, 13, are going to, for free. They're not going to pay one dime out of their pocket. Um, I think Jinx had, had two. Um, Union had 11. They had a bunch. I think Owasso had four. You know, we had 13 kids. So, um, we, we're working our butts off. But, you know, but you can't control, right? If, uh, if Nick Saban doesn't want to sign you, then, you know, David Alexander's not going to be able to get, you know, talk to Nick Saban. You know, Nick, you really need to sign. He's really, he's really Nick, a great kid. Nick, Nick, you owe me one, man. No, I don't. <laughs> well, Coach, it's, it's been awesome. We're, we're glad that, that you got on and talked to us. I already told – I was talking earlier. I was, I was too afraid to ask you earlier, so I'm glad Walls made me. But uh, <laughs> always at the end, I always ask uh, the coach, you know, when you're watching another team's offensive line, uh, what's something they'd be doing that would make you think really highly – of their offensive line coach? Well, you know, I obviously listened to a lot of you guys' um, shows, um, so I've heard the question. Um, and a lot of guys have the same answer. Uh, and so I'll, I'll chime in on that, right? Finishing every block is uh, important, right, for, for those linemen. Um, they have to – you have to understand, right, linemen. Offensive linemen is the only position in any sport, you know, lacrosse, you know, water polo, right, baseball, where having your back to the ball uh, is is a good thing, right? You don't ever want to see the football, right, unless you're chasing it in the end zone as the running back's running with it or the, or the receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, let's finish our blocks going forward, right, and then that way you'll never see the ball. You'll be on top of your defender. Um, but when uh, I'm a fundamental guy, um, Good footwork, good steps, good good eye discipline um, is is real important. Um, I think eye discipline can take care of a lot of lack of ability. You know, if you if if a young man will just listen to his offensive line coach and put his eyes where they're supposed to be, man, you can be a poor athlete and you can make a defender defender run around you, right or you you know you can shield a, a, a hole for a run if you just have if you'll just um, be a nice unselfish offensive lineman and have discipline to put your eyes where they're supposed to be. That's awesome, and obviously you had some really good offensive lines uh, when you were over at Jinx. Um, you know I, I know Jake's senior or junior year. You guys were you guys were the offensive line to be, and you guys were mean and physical. And I know you've talked about even you know doing some some things through film with them as far as counting how many guys were in the tight shot at the end of the, of the uh, play. And so I always try to pick up little things like that from you. And so 
Uh, I, I'm just glad that I get to it. There's not many people get to go ask about whatever. Hey, what are we going to do about, against bare front? Hey, Coach A, we're thinking about putting this in. Uh, how would you block this? How would you do this? And then, um, you know, it, it's kind of like those guys when we visited Rice, you know, that offensive line coach is there and he's got um, Bloomgren right there next to him, can ask him any question that he, that he wants. So it makes it really nice for me, really easy for us. And then especially my first year having you and Walls, who you, you helped get to, to Tulsa and, you know, GA for Tulsa offensive line. So has uh, been really cool for me to be able to ask uh, a number of, of people, you know, kind of some good things. But I've got first hour planned, so I get to go in there and, and talk football with you <laughs> every day. So that's been awesome. Getting to talk ball is the best part of being a coach, right? When the when the kids aren't around, just getting on the board and drawing some stuff up, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, I appreciate you humoring me, Coach Harper, and let me let me get the pen every once in a while and draw some stuff up. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, it's it's great for me. That's how I learned everything I've learned as far as how our our offense works. Either been you know through you or Walls. I I had never you know blocked power at Houston or or ISO or, or any of that. It was inside zone, outside zone, a little pin and pull, but that was about it. So, um, baby, there you go. <laughs> well, that's what you're like. So, uh, how'd you know what formation you guys were in? I said, we were in no tight ends, no matter what. So it didn't really matter what formation we were in. I think, <laughs> I think almost there's only got, a couple of ways they can line up. Yeah. Don't have tight ends. I almost got fired that day. I think <laughs> what do you mean you didn't know the formations? <laughs> I know there's five linemen. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's all there ever was. There were a bunch of guys wearing 80 numbers running around. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Did a lot of backing up. So all that I learned has, has been fun, and it's cool, and learned it from you and Wall, so it's obviously been fun for me. But um, it's been exciting and glad that you got to come on and, and talk to us. Um, obviously, we talk every day, but it's cool to sit down and, and hear some of those old stories because you've got some really funny ones. Oh, well, thanks, uh, Coach Harper and Coach Walls, man. It, uh, I love it, man. You guys uh some of my, my best friends and two of the best coaches I've ever been around, both of you. And I I, I don't know if the people on the podcast know that Coach Harper is just just twenty seven and um most you're you're the most mature twenty seven year old I've ever been around, Coach Harper. So um I know you've only set your goals to be in at Broken Arrow, but you can do anything you want to do, brother. You can do anything you want to do. I appreciate it, Coach. It's been a blast, man. As usual, like you guys are saying all these things, and I'm jealous because i got to be up here, you know, but being able to sit down there with you guys for, for a couple seasons too, uh, you know, those were all my, my favorite times. I loved getting in the office early because, you know, Dave was going to have his coffee, and we are going to be able to yeah. just sit there and tell stories, you know, whether it yeah. was old stories about stuff we did at Jenks or, stuff he did in the NFL, stuff that I used to do when I was young and dumb in college. But, I mean, uh, that, that'd be a whole nother show, I think, too. I think we could maybe sit down and tell some of our AFCA stories, too, there, Dave, if you, if you remember a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, we have, to, we have to change the rating on this podcast to tell some of those, but, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's why I think people kind of enjoy th this podcast, and I know the feedback that we get it's, is, like, we just feel like, you know, we're in the office there with you guys. And, honestly – you know, sitting here and, and BSing with you and Harper, I get to do it a little bit, you know, more often now, but through the podcast, but it just feels like old times, man. So I appreciate you coming on. And, and as always, we'll, we'll have to get you on again because it's just too much fun to, to not have it. And that'll do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again, thank our sponsors, Powerlift, Sideline Power, Sky Coach, and Team Attack Academy. 
make sure and check those guys out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.